but there's no life in the Bible. The, the Bible itself is a book that we wrote. People wrote it, right? We wrote that book. And Jesus said, there's no life in the Bible. He says, you know, he told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in that you'll find life. In the scriptures, you'll find life. And Jesus says, I'm standing right here. <laughs> Those scriptures are talking about me. You won't come to me and receive life. And um, so that's that's the concerning thing for me is that, gosh, everything God has done, all of creation, uh, all of inspiration, the incarnation itself, uh, the, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, all of it was intended to bring us, to make it possible that we could come to a place where it's what the new covenant's all about, where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And no one will inquire of anybody, any other person about God, because they'll all know me directly, individually. there and welcome back to the can i say this at church podcast a podcast centered around asking honest questions about god and religion and faith and honestly what that would sound like if we voiced our true opinions and our true concerns and our true doubts and honest feelings at church i'm so glad you're here i have a guest that you have heard from before come back today so i'm talking with keith giles keith on july 4th had a new book come out entitled jesus unbound and you're asking yourself, all right, well, there's nothing that binds Jesus, right? There's nothing in this world that can hold back the creator, part of the Trinity, the, the holder of the universe together. And you would be correct, except for most of the time, as Christians, specifically in America, we tend to elevate the Bible above Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, we still want to go with you have heard it said, be that the way that we treat people of color, slavery, how we treat each other as commodities, how we deal with people of transgendered sex, how we deal with women in ministry. There are so many things that instead of taking Jesus at his word as the word of God, we instead say, okay, well, the Bible says this, and we make Jesus fit in that box. And that's what his book is about. It's about falling in love with Jesus, using the Bible, knowing that the Bible points to Jesus, but always Jesus is the final authority. And so I am so excited for you to hear it. I would encourage you to get the book. You can find it everywhere on Amazon and anywhere else that they sell books. Hold on to your seats. Here we go. Keith Giles, Jesus Unbound. Keith, thank you so much for, for coming back onto the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I have very few people on the list of returning guests, uh, but you are now one of them, uh, the other being Alexander Shia. So large company there, but but welcome back to the show. I'm happy to have you. Oh man, Seth, I am so happy to, to talk to you. I got to say you are, and I'm not pandering here. Um, <laughs> I really, really enjoy talking with you. Uh, I do. I've done a lot of podcasts for Jesus Untangled and I'm going to go back to a lot of them again, I hope, and maybe, you know, do a lot of these kind of podcast conversations. But 
I really enjoy talking with you, man, because it just feels like we're just talking. You know what I mean? I don't feel like I'm, uh, I don't know. It doesn't feel forced or fake. You know what I mean? It just feels like a genuine conversation between friends. And I really appreciate that. I have succeeded. This will be the last episode then. I did it. <laughs> I made it. We're done. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Good yeah. Night. Yeah. No, that's my goal. One of them. And I heard something similar in one of my earlier, earlier, earlier ones before I knew what I was doing. And I know you also do a podcast and I would love to redo my first six or seven and, and you were number five. So I would love to, to redo those because I'm, I feel like I'm better now. Uh, I, I actually plan a lot more, but I write down a lot less, if that makes sense, just so that I'm yeah. not forcing myself into a, into an, an avenue that I need to go down instead of letting the conversation go oh, yeah. where it needs to. But um, I spoke with uh, Professor Stackhouse, and we were talking about hell up at Regent College there, John Stackhouse. He said, I like that you, he's like, you, he's like, I can tell you know more than you're letting on, but you're trying to ask questions the way like a junior in college would. And I was like, yeah, uh-huh. that's kind of my goal is, is to, is to just foster enough conversation without giving an opinion. Um, that right. would be, that would be why I have you here. So, um, well, that's great. yeah. So you have, and, and we're recording this before it releases, but on July 4th, you have a new book that is releasing Keith, uh, entitled Jesus Unbound, liberating the word of God from the Bible. And that title in and of itself is not off-putting to me, but I can see how many of the circles that I'm involved with will read that and say, no, 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 you can't talk about Jesus in the Bible like that. You know better than that. Aren't you a Christian? And so what is kind of the thought behind this book? What went into it? Why did you write it? That's a great question, man. Uh, well, I wrote it because I just started um, I just started noticing, very similar to Jesus Untangled, I started noticing that there are, there are just things in general that we as Christians tend to put between ourselves and God. I think it's just a human, it's a human nature thing. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, you can go all the way back to, you know, God wanting to have direct access to us. And then the people saying, you know, Moses, why don't you go talk to him and then tell us what he said? Or, <laughs> or you know, they say to the prophet, uh, you know, it's cool that you're the prophet and everything, but um, and God is sort of our king but we'd rather have a real king like all the other nations have. You know what I mean? It's just a human. Like we keep putting layers between ourselves and God. And I think God is always wanting to remove those layers and just deal with us directly. That's what the new covenant's all about. That's what Jesus says. You know, you abide in me, I'll abide in you. I will live in you. The father and I will come make our home in you. And so what I've noticed is I think that we do it with politics. And I, and unfortunately, I think many times we do it with the Bible. So I'm not I'm not against the Bible. But what I'm what I'm against is the idea of making the Bible the focus of our faith or elevating the Bible to be either equal to or in some cases even higher than Jesus in our lives. And that's when I think we cross a line. And then I think that's when we get we're just a little bit off course. But, you know, using nautical terms, if you're just a, a couple of degrees off course, uh, you're going to end up on another continent. <laughs> yeah, which if you're Columbus is good, I guess, because you get to I say it's, it's it's my land, <laughs> I licked it to use a propaganda just, uh, to use a yeah, propaganda look, licked it. Oh. Yeah, look what I discovered. Yeah. yeah, yeah, look at this. These people are also mine that live here. They're also going to be mine. Yes. Yeah, I find, and and I'm glad you bring up Moses and and you know uh, Israel demanding a king because of course they know better. Uh, my pastor actually just did a sermon on that, and we were talking about it beforehand, like just literally, you know, last Sunday. And I find it odd that 
I, I hear God screaming out through many avenues, the Bible being one of them, of, I just want to talk to you. And we go, yeah, I'll listen to you, but I would like to distill it through somebody that should talk to you. We pay people to talk to you, and I've got better stuff to do today than, yeah. than deal with yeah. you, God. I just don't, if you would just tell Moses, or if you'll just tell Keith what I need to know, and that would be helpful for me, because I've got T-ball <laughs> to get to. Right. Do you run, I, I assume you run up to that a, a lot. Um, and well, I know you do because I, I, I'm friends with you on Facebook and I see how people talk at you and with you. What is the pushback? As I'm sure you've talked about this longer than you wrote it um, because oh, all those yeah. thoughts had to breed somewhere. So what is the pushback when you say, well, you know, you're elevating the Bible above God or you're elevating this above Jesus, or you're elevating your politics, or you're elevating, we'll use Jeff Sessions because he's an easy scapegoat, you're elevating Romans yeah. 13 over human beings. So what is the pushback when you do that? Well, specifically when I when I try to say something, which to me seems so non, uh, like this isn't, this shouldn't be controversial at all. When I say the word of God is not a book, it's a person. Well, people, and some people go, amen. Some people are like, oh, yeah, absolutely. They're not threatened by that at all. But then there are some Christians who are very threatened by that. And then again, the fact that they're threatened by that statement tells me something, right? I think that that their reaction, their negative reaction to that statement uh, is revealing a little bit about the fact that they have put way more of their faith, too much of, uh, of their faith in a book rather than a person. Like, for example, you know, I'll just say, look, the, the Bible doesn't point you to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And this is what they don't get, right? They'll say, well, you wouldn't even know that if it wasn't for the Bible. Yeah, but if I'm going to follow the Bible and you're saying that that's what you want to do, you're you're committed to following the Bible, then, then actually follow it. Because if you follow the Bible, the Bible never points you back to the Bible. The Bible always points you to Christ. The Bible tells you that, you no, know, Jesus tells you in the Bible that my sheep hear my voice. I speak to them and they can hear me. Or again, you know, you abide in me and I will abide in you. Um, and so when, so if you're going to follow the scriptures, don't, don't stop at the scriptures. Again, this is, a, this is the problem. You know, it's I, I, the, one of the, one of the thoughts that I put on the, like in the back cover of my book is what if the Bible actually keeps us from hearing the word of God? And I think that becomes the problem. It's like, if you read something in the Bible and about Jesus, and your reaction is to close it and say, what a great book. Then you've missed the point. <laughs> because the point of the book is to say, what a great Jesus. What an amazing person that I can actually have a relationship and a connection to. And I can know him in a very real and intimate way. Not just stuff about him. Because I think this is where the Bible is helpful. The Bible can definitely give us information about Jesus. And we certainly that's a great starting point, right? Um, but it, but it's intended to be a map that's that's sending us to a destination, or in this case, to a person, to an to an experience with someone that we actually can know and experience. Uh, and it's sort of uh, that again. What I'm trying to say in the book is that the danger I see is that many Christians have this great, this beautiful map that points them to this amazing person and this amazing experience. And they spend all their time staring at the map, but many people never actually get to where it's pointing. This is something I've been, I've been wrestling with a lot lately, Keith. Um, 
And I may actually ask you who I should talk to about it when we're all said and done. So I have a different Bible than my Catholic brothers and sisters. Oh, yeah. And and they have a different Bible than, you know, the Ethiopian brothers and sisters. And they have a different Bible than it, every denomination gets to gets to say, no, this is the Bible. Trust me, it is. I have it right today. And so when I think about canon, and then I think about the Word of God pointing to Jesus, and I try to reconcile that with biblicism or an idolatry uh, holding of, of the Bible where the scriptures have to be what they are, and I will make Jesus fit into that. How do I know what to trust? Like, how do I know that my Bible even matters? Like, maybe I'm saying it wrong. If, if I don't, if we all have a different Bible, and many sects do, even if they don't know they do, or a different translation, and I have to use that to point to Jesus at the end of the map, how do I know that my map even has the right pages? That's a great question. And, that, and I feel like there's sort of two... There's two things, two ways to respond to what you're saying. Because <clears throat> on the one hand, I want to affirm you, you made a great point. There's a danger for us who, as Protestants in talking about, let's say, the canonicity of Scripture or the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture and the preservation of the Scriptures and to say that, well, you know, the, the Bible that we have today, you know, God protected it. God, God, God made sure that all these books were, you know— uh, we have all these copies and translations and everything. And then uh, then it was canonized and it was brought to translated into English and brought to you today. And and, and it's sort of this uh, very well, like Holy, the Holy Spirit curated and uh, and put together your English Bible um, because this is what he wanted you to know. Well, OK. If you if you believe that, if that if that's your perspective on, on on the particular English Bible that you have, but then my question would be, why didn't God care about the Bible that He handed to the Ethiopian Church? Why didn't He care about the Bible that He handed to the Eastern Orthodox Christians? Why did God not really seem to care about the Bible that He handed to the Catholics, as you just said? Like in other words, there's more than one correct Bible. And by the way, if you go and study. Um, the history of the canonization of scripture, and I touch on this a little bit in the book, is you, know, you realize that um, there was always a, a very, that was a moving target, right? Like there are books in, in our Bible right now, the, in, in the 66 books that we currently call the Bible, there's some books that we call scripture that early Christians would have said, no, that's not scripture. We, we're not putting that in, the, in, in our Bibles. But there are other books that they, they would have said that they did say, this is scripture, that some of the books, like if I told you the titles, we would we would say, "What's that?" I never even heard of that book. Um, and again, so this is part of the challenge. So, having said all that, let's go back to your original question: How do you and I know what to trust and what's real and what's true? Well, this is where I get into an answer that isn't going to make anyone very comfortable or very happy, <laughs> <laughs> because because it's like because um, unfortunately we want we do want. We want answers. We're not really comfortable with mystery. Uh, we want security. We want to put our security in knowledge and in knowing that this is the, these words, these books, this collection, this whatever, this Bible is true. And we put our hope and our faith in that. Well, I think I would say, and what I feel like I'm, it's shifting for me. I used to be that way. I feel, I feel like more and more what I'm doing is I'm realizing my, my hope and my faith and my security is in my relationship with Jesus. 
and 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 using discernment from the Holy Spirit. And so, for example, let's say I were to pick up an Ethiopian Orthodox Bible and and turn to a couple of books that aren't in my version of the Bible, and I started reading them. I might read something and say, you know, I think God is in that. I think I think the Spirit is speaking to me through that. I think this is inspired. So, in other words, I think the idea of inspiration, I would open it up. I wouldn't say it's only this, these 66 books or only these 71 books or only these 88 books or however many, whichever, mm-hmm. you know, flavor of Christianity you may gravitate towards or have been raised in or whatever. Sorry, this is a long answer to your question. But like, but here's what, what I've been thinking about is like the question of inspiration. Okay. When we say that the scriptures are inspired, what do we mean by that? And, and, and so this is what, again, I used to mean one thing. I think I used to mean what most people mean when they, when they say the scriptures are inspired, but, but I'm starting to, uh, to have a different definition of inspired. Okay. So for example, if I'm, if I'm in my car and I'm, and I'm driving down the road and I turn on the radio and I hear this song, right. And oh my gosh, it just speaks to me. It moves me. It communicates some profound and deep truth to me. And I were to say to you, man, Seth, I just heard this song on the radio and it was inspired. Well, what do I mean by that? This is, I would, I would mean that I really believe that the creator of the universe spoke to me through this song, through these lyrics, through this person's voice, through this music, and, and communicated a, an actual truth to me that I needed to receive that was profound and deep and real and moving and maybe even healing and transformative. And that's what I mean when I say that that, that song was inspired. Now, do I mean that God wrote that song? No. Do I mean that God sang that song? No. Do I mean that God recorded that song and and pressed it to a CD and shipped it to source? No. Um, do I mean that that song is infallible or that that <laughs> song is inerrant? Well, no, that's the wrong. Of course not. That's not what I mean. But it doesn't. But all those things don't at all take away the fact that the creator of the universe spoke to me through something that was real and true and powerful. And the God is real. The spirit that that inspired it is real, and and the message that I received from him is real. Yeah, that makes sense. To make a dumb a dumb analogy off that, what if it was a song that was a psalm put to music? Would it then be an inspired song? And that's that's an entirely horrible play on words. <laughs> My attempt at some kind of comedy based on it. Well, yeah, I mean, but here here's the thing. I mean, like, well, of course, you know that we have Christian music and. Um, and people have put the Psalms in the scripture and even just others, other scriptures to music. And yeah, that's, that's great. But you know what, what I've been amazed is when I've heard, I mean, I, I could, I could give specific examples of exactly those kinds of songs that I've heard that spoke to me that way. But when I go and trace it down, I would say, well, you know, the girl that wrote that song, mm-hmm. she's not even a Christian. Yeah. She doesn't even believe in God. And I would say, so what? <laughs> like yeah. that, that to me, it has nothing to do with it. Like I, uh, and now we're getting into sort of like a creative process, but I, but I think as someone who does write music and write lyrics and who has an artistic creative side, I think even if you're not, even if you don't have a conscious intentional faith in, in God or in Jesus, I think by engaging in the creative process, what you're trying to do with the gift you've been given by God, by the way, whether you know it or not, is to connect spiritually to God uh, you're trying to communicate beauty and truth, and I think you can be successful doing that, and you can you can end up communicating 
profound, deep, spiritual, even yes, Jesus-oriented truths, even if you didn't intend to, even if that wasn't even in your mind. People do it all the time, and and if you don't think you do, just think back. If you go back like over the last few months, and even in my mind or in the circles that you're in, people will say, oh, Keith, did you see that sunset over the ocean last night? It just spoke to me. It was breathtaking, and I can't, I can't believe that the Creator—and it doesn't even yeah. matter if they're Christian. They will say something like that, or did you hear that one song from, I don't yeah. know, let's just say Kendrick Lamar. It doesn't matter what it is. And so yeah. I find it odd that people will hear something glorious, to use uh, the best word I can think of, in something that isn't biblical, air quotes biblical, but we're not allowed to do that when we actually think about God. And 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 as I've done this podcast, if anything I've realized, and, and what started it was when I spoke with Elizabeth Johnson, and we were talking about Darwin and creationism and evolution, and what she calls the entangled bank, which is a play on words from 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 Darwin, they quote scripture that I don't have, like the book of Maccabees or, the, or other books. Every time, the scripture that they're quoting is is an emotional scripture. It's evoking something in me that's primal almost that yeah. is that is an yeah. essence of my being and as a protestant i feel like the bible that we have self self-assigned ourselves to read is 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 literal to a fault and so it makes it where things have to be binary and right. and nobody wants to get out of that second like it, it's it can't be always a one or a zero that doesn't mean sometimes it can't be a one or it can't be a zero yeah but quantum physics would say that sometimes it's also one and zero, and I'm not a right. scientist, so I'm not going to go further than that. That's all that I understand about that. But yeah. I just, it, it amazes me how we're fine to let that part of our being be present and hear something until we sit down to read Scripture, assuming we do, right? as opposed to just letting Moses or my preacher tell me what to think about Scripture. So Right, yep. That's exactly right. Yeah, and and again, you know, I think again part of the 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 so you asked me about the pushback and the and the the reaction, right? So a lot of times when I talk about when I talk this way to people, uh some people go amen, that's beautiful. I I agree, and some people get freaked out and threatened and upset. And so they'll say things like, "Well, then how do you know anything?" You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So now now, now it's all ali oxen free, and I don't know what to believe. And how do I know if if I can't trust this? And what do I what do I do? Right? Look, we're all we're called to use discernment, even reading the Bible. Like, I mean, whatever I'm doing, I should be using some level of discernment. If the Spirit of God is really alive in me, then I should be able to trust that you know He can give me direction and wisdom and 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 lead me to all truth, which is exactly what Jesus said the Spirit would do. Here's, but here's the other thing, you know, it's sort of like, look, if, if you stay where you are and you kind of just only hold tightly to this book, to the Bible, and no, this is it. I don't want anything else. I don't want the spirit to lead me. I don't want other, I don't want God to speak to me through anything, uh, any other, you know, realms or people or, or art or, or anything else. It's just, just only these 66 books and that's it. Understand that doing that will not protect you from getting it wrong. Like Christians have been getting it wrong by clinging tightly to the Bible. That's just why we have, I don't know how many, you know, what is it, 20, 30,000 denominations. They're all basing their belief on that same book. No, we all, they'll all stand up and say, no, we only believe every word in this book. And yet there's thousands of different, you know, denominations based on only following and believing that book. Well, so that 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 in itself is not going to save you or protect you from quote unquote getting it wrong. 
our our capacity to get it wrong is is it infinite uh, we're gonna get, we, we can get it wrong no matter what we're doing um I would say that the the biggest danger isn't necessarily getting it wrong it's getting it's missing Jesus and that's what I'm trying to say in in my book Jesus Unbound is that we can we can stop at the Bible and not move on to a person that the Bible the, the Jesus says you know, Again, this is sort of like a controversial thing to say. It, it shouldn't be because Jesus said it. But there's no life in the Bible. The, the Bible itself is a book that we wrote. People wrote it, right? We wrote that book. And Jesus said, there's no life in the Bible. He says, you know, he told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because mm-hmm. you think that in that you'll find life. In the scriptures, you'll find life. And Jesus says, I'm standing right here. <laughs> Those scriptures are talking about me. You won't come to me and receive life. And um, so that's that's the concerning thing for me, is that, gosh, everything God has done, all of creation, uh, all of inspiration, G- the incarnation itself, uh, the, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, all of it was intended to bring us, to make it possible that we could come to a place where it's what the new covenant's all about, where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And no one will inquire of anybody, any other person about God, because they'll all know me directly, individually. This whole thing of like, there are no mediators between us and God anymore. It's just Jesus. We go straight to Jesus, right? It's this direct connection to God. Um, and that, again, sometimes we can we can put the book in there and, and say, and let the book be the mediator. And we have a relationship with a book and not a relationship yeah. with a person. You know, I, I do this thing in the book where uh, I go through this thing of like, you know, uh, the word of God loves you, but the Bible doesn't. It's it's not capable of loving you, right? I was about to ask God, you about that, where you you basically in the book make the case um, everywhere that you see word of God, you know, like in Romans ten seventeen, you know, the, where it says the faith, uh, then faith comes by hearing and hearing the, and hearing by a word of God. And then, you know, it's like, it's in Hebrews, it's in John, it's everywhere. But when you see the, where it says the word of God, you can just, you can just say Jesus. It's, it's yep. okay. It's, that's what that means. Um, yep. You go yeah, into absolutely. a bit more detail than that using Greek and, 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 and words that I don't understand, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. Well, and yeah, and this, and this is again, the thing where um, I, I, so yeah, what I'm trying to do in the book is to lead people just a little bit farther the, the the book is awesome. I love the Bible. I'm so glad we have a Bible. I, I really do love the Bible. I read it. I study it. You know, uh, I, I say that if you came to my house to take my Bible away, you'd have to cut off my hands to get it out, get it away from me. I love, 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 love the Bible. I just love Jesus so much more because he's an actual person, right? It's like, um, like when I was in college, my friend Carlos introduced me to Wendy, my wife. And I am so grateful for Carlos for doing that. And I love him. He's a great guy, man. Every time I get back, go back to El Paso, Texas, I I look forward to hanging out with Carlos, but I didn't marry Carlos. (laughs) That doesn't mean I don't appreciate that Carlos introduced me to Wendy, but I love Wendy in a way that doesn't even come close to the way I love Carlos. And I I feel like that that's, you know, the Bible is our Carlos. The Bible is wonderful. (laughs) It introduced us to this amazing person named Jesus that we now have a beautiful relationship with, and we will forever be thankful for the Bible for, for doing that. But um, it can't just stop at the Bible. It's got to become a real relationship. Does Carlos know that you're talking about him this way? 
<laughs> I don't even know. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's aware of that or not. He's he's not on Facebook. He's not online. Um, next you, time I see him, I'll have to let him let him yeah, know I'm using yeah. him as an illustration. <laughs> That's funny. Well, yeah, I have to I have to picture what his face will be. I don't know Carlos, but I can. If that was maybe like you're doing, say that again. You're doing what with me? I'm the Bible somehow. <laughs> I am the yeah. okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> And so this is a, this is an avenue that I try to navigate. If if both sides are a rut, so I can get stuck in the rut of overcompensating to Jesus, and and I don't know then if I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know how to get good doctrine or good dogma, um, which is where I think the Bible can be extremely useful. Versus, say, someone extremely, extremely beyond, uh, let's, let's just say Oral Roberts, because I can't come up with a better name now. And so how do I navigate the center, or how does someone listening navigate the center of, of learning to elevate Jesus above the Bible, which I think is a big thing to learn, especially in our country. That's, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go counterculture, you have to go counterpolitical, and you honestly usually have to go counter family, at least for my generation, because that's not the way that the the previous generation was raised, which isn't their fault either, and that's we have to admit that. Um, how do I how do I do the middle without pulling the parachute, put the ripcord on on both sides? Because what I don't want to have happen is is people uh, do something and they do it unprepared or uneducatedly, and it, it causes harm to to the church. And so, how do I navigate that specifically with doctrine? Um, you know, with if I say that and I say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, great. Well, what do you believe about homosexuality? Or I believe mm-hmm. that Jesus is this. Well, that's awesome. But if you throw out the Bible, how do we know what to do with this or that or the other? There's so many things that people use the Bible for, sometimes well and sometimes poorly. Um, so how do I do that well? It's a good question, but I, I don't, I don't wrestle with that personally so much the way I used to, um, because I think. Again, this is just my my perspective where I'm at right now. Like there are things I believe now I didn't believe five years ago. There's things I believe now I didn't believe ten years ago. I, I always say we're all in process with with our with our doctrines and our beliefs, right? Um, the, but the thing that that remains constant is my connection and my relationship with Jesus. And if anything, hopefully not static and constant, but actually increasing, right? I'm mm-hmm. drawing nearer and nearer and nearer and more and more in love with and more in connection with Jesus. I'm hearing His voice more. I'm learning to discern His voice more. I'm learning more how to walk in the spirit, be led by the spirit more. Um, this is what discipleship's all about. See, for me, that's what we should major on, not my doctrines. Not that doctrines don't matter, but I feel like that, I don't, honestly, this is maybe sound weird. I don't even think God really cares. Like at the end of the day, is God concerned about my doctrines? Like, do I, do I have the top 10 doctrines that I believe? Do I have them? You know, have I penciled those incorrectly in the Scantron uh, or not? Uh, because, because again, I hope he doesn't, because like I said, 10 years ago, I would have filled out that Scantron really differently than I fill it out now. 
Um, and I think he loved me the same when I was quote unquote wrong, uh, as he was now that I'm, I think I'm right. But again, but again, I thought I was right before. So, um, I'm hoping I'm going to always continue to, to grow and learn and, and think and rethink and consider and reconsider, uh, what do I believe about this doctrine? What do I think about this, uh, idea? Um, hopefully that's always informed by my connection to Jesus and my relationship with Jesus. But again, I think I would rather focus on my relationship with Jesus. I would be more concerned. Am I hearing his voice or not? Am I walking with Jesus or not? Uh, is Jesus, are, are the teachings of Jesus about like, say, loving your enemy, caring, loving your neighbor, caring for the poor, blessing those who curse you? Like, are those things informing my ongoing daily life? And if so, you can believe whatever you want about, you know, pre, mid or post or dunk or sprinkle or whatever. You know what I mean? I I don't necessarily, some things are more important than others, maybe, because it may affect the way you treat other people. Like on, on the LGBTQ issue, for example, uh, your view on that might make you feel like you need to treat people who are gay a certain way. Versus if you had a different view, you might see uh, treating them a different way. But but overall, I don't think that those um, those doctrines are as important as I think we've tried to make them. I think we've made the gospel about information, and I always say this, but I don't. I used to think that, but I think now the gospel is about transformation. Uh, it's not the information I have about God; it's the transformation I'm experiencing by being in connection with Jesus on an ongoing basis. And you touch on that a bit in in one of the chapters of your book, and I can't remember which chapter it is, but I remember what it's titled because it, uh, it, it it still sits with me. I, I think about it on occasion, and you, I think the title of the chapter is "When Being Biblically Right Is Completely Wrong." And oh, yeah. you quote a pastor that I can't remember, but I know it's like Dick Van Dyke, but it's not Dick Van Dyke. But it's that's Henry. Just, it's Henry Van Dyke. There it is. It's just Dick Van Dyke's the one Van Dyke that I know. <laughs> um, right. So what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean that I can be biblically right and completely wrong? Because that's, that's a juxtaposition. Those words shouldn't be able to fit together. Right. Well, what I, the, in the chapter that you're referring to, I talk about how one of the things I talk about in that chapter is how uh, <clears throat> the Christian church in the you know, pre-Civil War, there were Christians who used the scripture to completely justify owning people as slaves. Mm -hmm. And biblically, uh, in, in other words, if you're only going by what the Bible says, biblically, they were right. They, they could point to scriptures, Old and New Testament, that affirmed that, you know, it was basically the only, the only, um, the only advice that was given was treat them well, but, but you could keep owning them. You could, you could keep having slaves, you know, like slavery itself wasn't called a sin or condemned as, as an evil. Uh, and so that's just one example of where the church was biblically right for, for Christians that, and at the time, I mean, if you go and look at it, it's, it's kind of shocking to see people like Henry Van Dyke, who, by the way, I've read other quotes by that guy that I loved. I think, wow, what a beautiful, deep, spiritual, moving statement. But then you read his other statements where he's basically calling out abolitionists uh, and calling them heretics and saying that any, any Christian that, that goes against what is written in the word of God to argue that we shouldn't own slaves is arguing with God. 
And, uh, you know, that their problem isn't with me, it's with God, it's with the creator of the universe. You know, how dare you question, you know, God, Yahweh mm-hmm. uh, on this issue or Paul the apostle, right? Um, so that's an example where, uh, and that's just one example where I think we can be biblically, <clears throat> we can be biblical, but not be Christ-like. And this is what, something I'm always trying to, to bring up as well. Like, I don't want a biblical world. I don't want to live in a world that's biblical. And again, I think a lot of people that are biblicists, people that really do cling to their Bible, I, I hear them say that all the time, right? We need to get back to the Bible. We need, uh, we, what's going to make America great? What's going to make America uh, a godly nation again? Well, everyone needs to get back and read the Bible. Like, we need to teach the Bible in school. We need a more biblical world. And I'm like, no, man, because a biblical world, if you have a biblical world, uh, a biblical world can, is justified, or the Bible justifies things like genocide, patriarchy, slavery, um, you know, all kinds of things, polygamy, mm-hmm. like all kinds of things. I can biblically justify all sorts of evils if I'm using the Bible. And people have, and they still do. But again, what I'm trying to argue for is for us to get to a Christ-like focus. And this is this is laser-focused on what I'm about. It isn't being biblically focused. It's being uh, Christ-centered in the way that we read the Bible and in the way that we think about everything. That it starts with Jesus and and it moves outward from there. I need to be respectful of your time, and so I want to wrap this up. But I have, well, I have a couple more questions, and I don't. Sure. Uh, I think I'm just going to ask them one that I most want to know the the, the most about. Sure. So, if I'm sitting at home, and hopefully at the end of hearing this, I go out and I buy your book, and I I recommend um, full disclosure. I was able to read it before its release. I genuinely enjoy it. And, and and the reason is sometimes you'll read a book making the claims that you're reading and it's all emotion. Uh, but, but, but Keith, you've interwoven scripture in a way that it's funny to write a book about unbinding Jesus from the Bible and to bolster it with the Bible is right. <laughs> that, that is not lost on me, but it also, it, it works because again, the Bible points to Jesus. And, and yeah. as, um, as I saw you say on Facebook about Brad Jersak, you know, uh, you know, Jesus, the, the word of God is, was alive. And when he became, you know, a man, he grew a beard, which when I read that, I laughed so hard. So right. I hear all this, I listen to you, I read words like yours. And then I go over to my bookshelf, I pull out my Bible and my and I begin to doubt. So I, I open it up and I'm like, all right, so I'm gonna read this and I'm I'm hearing what Keith said in the back. I'm reading some of what he said and others like you have said. What do I do? For the next three to four months, wh- what do I do? Because I'm gonna still go to church. I'm gonna still have to answer questions that my kids ask me. I'm gonna have to talk and argue with people on Facebook because that's the cross <laughs> that we all apparently bear. Uh, um, yes. you know, so what do I do? Like I, I open it up and I just randomly pick and I'm in the book of Ruth or whatever. What do I do? Where do I go? What avenues can I take to, yeah. to begin to, to begin to, I'm tr- I don't know the best way to say it. You know what I'm trying to say? I think you do. Um, I hope you do because <laughs> I, I can't quite voice it. Well, I think, I think I do too. So if I don't, if I don't redress it, please let, let's 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 keep wrestling on it. My response to that would be get to know Jesus as intimately as you can. Like that whole that whole concept of knowing of abiding in Christ, it begins there. Uh, it starts with knowing Him and and knowing Him more and more and more. Like when Paul says, um, you know, Paul says that when we read the Old Covenant scriptures to this day, a veil covers our eyes, and only one thing removes that veil. It's only in Christ is the veil removed. So that's the solution. 
we have to first really, really know Jesus, not just information about Jesus, not just, oh, he was, you know, his mother was Mary, his father was Joseph, he was born of a virgin, he, you know, he was born in a manger in Bethlehem, and it's not information about him. That's one thing I talk about in the book, right? I talk about that word. When, when Jesus says eternal life is to know God and uh, his son whom, whom he sent, the word know is gnosko in the Greek. It's not the word for information. It's not the word for knowing stuff. So Jesus is not saying eternal life is knowing stuff about God or knowing stuff, knowing information about Jesus. The word gnosko that's used in the Greek is the same word that you would use when you, if you were wanted to say that a man had an intimate relationship with his wife. And so it's an intimacy that conceives new life within you. A new life is born within you. It's again, transformation. So it begins with knowing Jesus and knowing him more and more and more and more. It's daily, daily, daily turning to Jesus, you know, uh, talking to Jesus, being connected to Jesus, like being a Jesus focused person as much as you can possibly be in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, in your life to be fully immersed in Christ. And then that's your only hope because until you are fully immersed in Christ, that veil isn't going to be removed. You're going to turn to the book of Ruth and you're going to read it the way you would read it if Jesus had never come. That's the problem. That's that's where we get into trouble, I believe. It's when, when we think about God and we read the Old Testament scriptures the same way we would if Jesus had never showed up. Like Jesus has to make a difference. Jesus has to... Um, has to transform the way we think. He has to, we have to look at it through the lens of Christ. And if we don't, we're going to, we're really going to be off track. So that, that would be my advice. Well, I like that. And, and to take that further, and, and this is why I like not, not writing down every question I plan on asking, um, which that one wasn't, it's just something that's birthed from, from today. If, if I'm beginning to develop a, a, deeper relationship with Christ in a way that is intimate. Logically, in my mind, and this is probably the banker part of my brain activating, that's going to birth something. And so in a, in a regular relationship, that is a child. Yeah. And I don't know if that would be religion or whatever it is, but it's going to birth something. And, and I would encourage those that do that hard work uh, don't be afraid of what it births. It's it's yeah. it's fine, um, but it's probably uncomfortable, and it will, like children, <laughs> absolutely change your life. But I think that's <laughs> what Christ is. Like it is, as you just, it's, it's going to change. Everything's going to change. Um, and I said this the other day on on the internet, uh, and 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 got some pushback as well. Uh, you, you it, the gospel is great news as long as as long as you don't expect your status quo yesterday to be your status quo today. Like it's going to change. Right. It's, it's really good news as long as you're fine with detaching from whatever version of you was there yesterday. That's exactly right. Yep. We need, we definitely need a more dangerous idea of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Cause it's, it's always going to be about, uh, I don't know if I told you this before, or if I brought this up before, but uh, there's this thing I came across years ago that was like a, there was sort of like a, a mantra or a, or a, a saying that the early Christians had, which was conversatio morum. And uh, what it means is it has two meanings. It either means uh, death to the status quo, which sounds like a great tattoo, uh, <laughs> death to the status quo. But the other, the other way to translate it is constant conversion. And so it's the death to my status quo. And it's a constant death to my status quo. 
it's not salvation in the in their minds in the early church in their minds salvation was not a one time event when i was 9 years old i walked down front and i bent the knee and i said the prayer and i got dunked that's how we tend to think of it but the way early christians thought of it conversion was a was an ongoing experience i was always walking the aisle i'm i'm constantly bending the knee i'm constantly saying lord jesus i give you my life Every moment of every day, I'm constantly in conversion. And that means my status quo is always dying. Yeah. And I think if we can wrap our brains around that, that is more about what Jesus is calling us into. Say that word again. The conversatio morem. I I am. I'm going to get that tattooed right across. I'm not. I'm not (laughs) going to do that. But maybe maybe one of those fake beach tattoos that last for a week. Get a Um, henna tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. So the book is released July 4th. Um, By the time you're listening to this, July 4th has already probably happened uh, due to the release episode of the shows. They're on Fridays, and July 4th is a Wednesday this year. So that is available where, Keith? I know Amazon, absolutely. Uh, Where else? How can they get a hold of it? And and how can they begin to, as they wrestle with the topics in here, how can they speak with you, converse about this? What's that community look like? Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the book's available on Amazon July 4th, also on Barnes & Noble and Kobo. And uh, it's on uh, right now it's on print and ebook. We'll have an audio book coming out soon. If they want to know more, they can follow my blog, which is just my name, KeithGiles.com on Patheos. Uh, I also have a, a website set up for the book specifically. That's Jesus-Unbound.com, which has a little video and some information about the book and more information about that uh, if you're curious about that. Um, but yeah, and then like you said, I do a podcast with some friends of mine, which may or may not be their speed. It's not for everybody, but it's called the Heretic Happy Hour uh, <laughs> podcast. Some people love it, some people hate it. Um, you'll know right away if it's for you or not. <laughs> if there's anything I've learned about podcasts, it's that each of them are different in their own way, and they're always intimate. And like any other relationship, you either you're either in it or you're not. And that's right. And I want for people listening now. I'm so glad that you're here, and I encourage you to stay here. Uh, but if it's at a point that you can't, then that's fine. It's okay. Um, I saw some, some Caitlin Curtis said the other day, uh, who's someone that I spoke with, uh, what'd she say? Brothers and sisters, as we're dealing with, you know, this immigration issue, uh, at the border and detaining children, it's, you're not called to watch every video and continue to be broken. Like take a break breathe for a moment. You're going to need that energy and that fuel later. So yes. just detach, like it's okay. You need to settle mm-hmm. down. So, yeah. uh, but podcasts yeah. are no different. Um, your podcast is called happy, ha- heretics, happy hour. Her- oh gosh. Happy. The heretic ha- happy hour. There it is. I was singing the song in my head. I was trying to get, <laughs> yes. Trying I love the song. I love um, that theme song. So well, good. Um, all of the links to that will be in the show notes for those listening. Key, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you for, uh, yeah, just thank you for that and, and, and thank you as well for the friendship that we developed over this past year I, I, I've been encouraged by it uh, thank you Seth I really appreciate it man God bless encourage you enough to go and get this book. If we can move past as a country and as a church, the thought that somehow Jesus is bound into the covers and only in the pages in between of the Bible that we have. And for some reason, there is no new word to hear from the Holy Spirit. There's no new way or no new lens to see and hear God. 
through scripture and not through scripture. We take away something beautiful away from God. At least I think we do. So please go and get Keith's book. Support what he's doing. I would encourage you as well to listen to his podcast that he does with some fellow friends of his. The, the conversations there are different than what you hear here, but also very worthwhile. Special thanks to The Silver Pages, which is a duo of Philip Zock and Paul Zock. Their music is what you've heard featured in today's episode. You can find more information about them at thesilverpagesmusic.com. We'll talk to you next week.